So I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we're we're going to go and take a look at this, the salt of the earth. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. If we're, we've been going to Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, which is the theme for this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. That's why you're so salty, right? Uh, nobody wants to admit that, but you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You, it also says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. When I was uh, a kid growing up, we'd go to New Mexico every year for Christmas. And if you've been to New Mexico, they're very kind people. They go way out of their way to remove all the scenery off the highways so you can just get straight through. Uh, it's probably the most boring drive you'll ever take. But at night, when you leave a city, the lights are on in the next city, you can see 20 to 25 miles and see the light of the city that's out that far because the light in darkness is even brighter than it is when there's light around. So you are the light. And the Bible says that you're the light of the world. Now, there, are, there is really no other area or message that you would share than the gospel that a lot, a lot of Christians are just silenced silent to share. They, they'll tell all the life hacks and all this thing would be really good. That'll take out that spot. You know, we want to help in all kinds of ways, but when it comes to the gospel, you have a message that can help hopeless people. But we often find we, we cover up our light. We don't want them to know that we have the answer or we don't believe it's the answer. That, I think, is more of the reason. It says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Why would you do that? Instead, they put it on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And then what do they do? They glorify the Father. That really, our mission is to get people, bring people to glorify the Father, not glorify you. Not celebrate you, but to glorify the Father, that that's our mission, that, that I get them to see the Father. I'm like, almost like the moon, he's the sun. I just reflect the glory of the Lord uh, to people all around me. Now, uh, God has given us the responsibility because of how blessed we are, God's given us the, the responsibility to be that light to the world. Listen, there is no other light. When we pray for, how many are praying for someone to get saved that you love dearly? Raise your hand. You're praying for someone you love dearly. You want them to get saved. Listen, uh, there are people right now praying for someone they love dearly that they want to meet the Lord, and you're the one that's supposed to lead them to Jesus. We often pray that other people will be the salt and light to somebody we love. Have you ever considered that you may be the answer of prayer to somebody else's loved one? that needs to come to Jesus, that we, we have a responsibility. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm not blessed. I think you, Pastor, I think you, you, you overestimate how blessed we are. No, here's the lie. Here's the lie many Christians believe. I'm not blessed. What is that based on? Because the Word of God says you are blessed. You're blessed because God, one, has given you breath and life, but through Jesus Christ, we're very blessed. Blessed. <laughs> blessed, Right? He, it's a mentality. It is really a mentality. Some of us have been saved. Uh, uh, we, we were prisoners that have gotten saved, but we never got set free from our prisoner mentality. The prisoner thinking. We still think like prisoners. You are blessed 
and highly favored. Amen? And when we believe that I am blessed and highly favored, then I begin to talk differently. I'm going to begin to act differently. I'm going to respond to things differently. Why? Because I'm blessed. When Satan brings all the garbage and litters my lawn with all of these hassles and struggles of life, I rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because Satan just dropped off the building materials for the deck God's going to build on the back of my house. Right? I, we look at what Satan is trying to do, not as a problem, but as a reward, as, as God's getting ready to do something in my life. That's why it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind, because God's about to do something. God is up to something in our life. And that is the reality. God is up to something. So I am blessed. Anybody blessed in here? Anyone highly favored? I'm kind of God's favorite. I know you all think you are too, but I, I kind of am God's favorite, right? And so God tends, so why aren't you bothered by the stuff going on in your work? Because I, yeah, I know, for most people that'd be a problem, but I'm kind of like, God and I have this thing. I'm kind of his favorite. Like, I'm not worried about it because God hasn't, God hasn't forgotten me. God knows where I'm at. God knows what I'm dealing with. God will take care of it. And I'm just trusting in the character of my dad. Right? I'm trusting in him. I don't need to worry about it because I'm blessed and highly favored. Now, this is my email. Last week I talked about seven streams of influence. Your church, your home, government, sports, Arts and entertainment, social media, those are all areas in the seven streams. Now, don't email me if you're feeling like you're called to the stream of your family or your church, okay? All of you should be operating in those streams of influence. But if God, you feel like God is wanting you to get involved in one of those other areas of influence, I want to meet with you. I want to I have an opportunity to talk about how you can operate, whether it's social media, arts and influence, sports, government, business, whatever it is. How, how can you begin to leverage your influence for the kingdom of God and, and literally use that to influence the lives of people uh, that are around you. And I'm not talking about money here. A, a lot of people say leverage your influence and it's all about the money aspect of it. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about literal lives that you're going to influence because you're in those positions. You know, a lot of times we believe this lie that people who are influencers uh, should influence, right? People who are influencers should influence. And But I'm a nobody. I don't have any influence. Well, how do you think the celebrity became the celebrity? They leveraged the influence they were given, and it turned into something greater. They, didn't, they weren't born celebrities. They weren't born in that way. They recognized that I have a little influence, and I'm going to leverage the influence I have for the kingdom of God. Now, one of the titles I wanted to give to the series was, These are the men who are turning the world upside down. Um, in Acts, it says, the people who are turning the world upside down have now come here. What would the world look like if Bethel's Rock Ridgefield started realizing that you're the people who turn the world upside down? You stopped trying to legislate morality and started discipling it in the lives of people. That we actually recognize that I have a sphere of influence that I'm part of and I get to be a part of influencing those lives for the kingdom of God through the word of God in their life. Right? 
Now, I'm going to tell you a cool story. Now, Bible is amazing. You know, you don't really need to do drugs. You just need to do the Bible. It'll give you everything. Why, why even do that? But I'm going to tell you a, a cool story to get to one word. All right? So I'm going to give you this story to get to one word. And the story is found in Acts. And, it's, and it says this. Once, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, some of you think, well, that's great. She was saying, no, but she's just annoying, right? She was trying to expose them. She was trying to get people not to follow them when she's doing this. And Paul and Silas, they put up with this woman. They, they literally put up with her. She kept this up for many days. Now, how many would say after a few days, you just had enough, right? Have you ever met people that they just don't shut up? You know what I'm talking about? It's like you start getting annoyed, and you put up with it for a while. You got the grace and mercy of God on you. And then after about three days, you're like, man, you need to. And Paul turns to her, and she's just, he's just done with it. Finally, Paul becomes troubled. That's the righteous word for what he was feeling in that moment. And that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of that woman. At that moment, the Spirit left, Right? And when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They were upset. And they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Here Paul is being obedient, doing good, right? Sets this woman free. And they get brought before a trial and accused of doing bad even though they did what? Good. Were they being obedient to God? Yes. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs. So they're falsely accused the city was not in an uproar. They created the uproar and blamed Paul and Silas by advocating customs and unlawful uh, for Romans to accept a practice. That's not true. It was a false claim. They weren't doing that. It wasn't true. So they are falsely accused. The crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beat. I, okay, so I want to give you somewhat of a timeline on this, a little bit of a timeline on this. They, they are there because God told them to go there. They are obeying God, right? We all know that we should be obedient to God, right? They then help this poor girl who has been taken advantage of. She's, she's been used for, for her, this thing she has living in her. She's suffering, so they do good. They're helping someone. And because they were obedient to God and because they did good, they are now being falsely accused in a trial they are being rejected by people. And if that wasn't bad enough, like we would say, oh, that's just terrible, God. What are you, why are you doing this? I did what you told me to say. Now I'm going through this lawsuit and all of these issues. Then they're stripped. And if that weren't bad enough, they're beaten. Why? Because they obeyed God and they did good. Now, f follow this. Look at this. After they'd been severely flogged, we just heard they were beaten, but severely flogged, Jesus was flogged. 
the likely, at the very least, they have stripes all over their back where they were literally whipped with a, like a reed or something that left severe stripes on their back, or they were ripped with, with where their skin was literally ripped open at, at the most. It was enough that they could still survive, and yet it was pretty bad. They were thrown into prison. They haven't even been, they haven't even, they've been accused. They haven't even been judged guilty. There hasn't even been a trial that says they're guilty and they've already beaten, stripped them, flogged them, thrown them into jail, and the jailer was commanded to guard them because they're so scary and dangerous. Because they did good to someone, they better be guarded. Now, how many are sitting here going, what? It just doesn't make any sense. There are a lot of things you go through in life that will not make sense that you will be mistreated over because you're being obedient and doing good. But God has to do something in your life to get you to the place where he wants you to be so you can influence the people he wants to have influenced in that moment. And we sit and complain and cry about it because we don't understand, because we don't fully believe that I'm blessed and highly favored. So we think in those moments when bad things are happening to us, God's forgotten us, that God doesn't care about us, and it causes us to respond in a wrong way. You'll see. Look at this. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and then fastened his seats with shackles. Who? Who? A person who cast a demon out of a girl and gave her back her life. Somebody who was there because God told them to go there. This is how they're being treated? Hmm. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, first of all, the other prisoners wouldn't even know who they were if they had not went through all of this. And in that moment, Paul and Silas begin to sing hymns to God and begin to sing Praise the Lord. Now, what in the world would cause them to do that? What would you do if you were sitting in a prison cell with shackles on your feet and you had been beaten and your skin ripped open and there's mushrooms growing in there with you because it was dark and wet? And I just envision mushrooms all around. Right? What would you do? See, Paul and Silas understood something that I think all of us have to understand. There is something about praise and worship that is required in our life. See, if I'm in this place, I think I'd be pretty upset with God. I might even say something like this. God! <laughs> Why am I here? I did this all for you. I did good. I listened to what you said. If this is who you are, God, I don't even know if I want to serve you. I don't even know if I want to be attached to you. Right? Haven't we been there before when things don't go? And we didn't, we didn't even, we just got accused of something at work and we're on our, these guys have been accused, falsely accused, they've been put into a jail cell, they've been beaten, stripped, everything else. And what do they do? They begin to worship the Lord. Here's why I think they, they worship the Lord. Here's why. Because of, because of them responding to their bad day the right way, other people were taking note of it. One, 
they responded the right way and people were watching and saw how they responded. How many opportunities have we had bad days and it, we, we have the opportunity to respond the right day and we're going to influence those people around us? Hang on to the thought I was talking about before though because I, I want you to see this. Why are they praising God? Why were they praising God? You know, praise, we, we have made praise and worship something it's not. I believe, this is what I believe. I believe that Paul and Silas looked at each other and said, we better praise him because if we don't, we're going to end up cursing him. We have a choice right now. I think they were in that prison and they realized, I have a choice. Either I'm going to get better or I'm going to get bitter. But we're going to worship God because when I worship God, it takes my eyes off the problem and puts my eyes on the creator. And I realize that's how amazing you are. That's how beautiful you are. I'm going to worship you. Now, I want to talk about this half-cocked, horrible thing we call celebrity worship these days. You've heard me get on this before. But there are way too many churches that have no clue what worship is. It's nothing more than performance. We sing songs we haven't even wrote from people we've never met. And we play music in a way where we're more concerned about the technical aspect of worship than we are about worship. We sit there and we're more critical of how the worship team is leading worship than we are just worshiping. You know, there's a funny thing with, with worship. When I'm worshiping... I'm not paying much attention to what the drummer's doing. Right? But we analyze worship teams because they're performance. So we'd be better to sell tickets. Because when I come into the presence, when I come into the place, I want you to worship for me. And I want you to sing songs that make me feel good and get me all happy inside where I'm not worshiping at all. And then we leave, get in our car, and we don't know how to worship because we never learned to worship in the house of God. Right? Like, you hear me, I'm convinced I'll be the worship leader in heaven because the Bible says the first will be last. I am probably one of the worst singers in this place right now. But boy, in heaven, I'm probably the best in God's ear. Right? How many are saying amen? When I sing, but see, I don't need to rhyme when I sing a song. I'm like, I'm like Will Ferrell and the Elf, you know, where he just makes up the song. Dear God, I love you. You are amazing. You are great. That's beautiful in his ears. Now, in your ear, you're thinking, please stop right now. Right? But I can get in the car. Why? Because I'm not worried about the technical part of it. I am not worried about the sound. I am worried about the situation I'm in. I, I could get bitter in this right now. So I better start praising God. However, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be beautiful in the ear of God because it comes from my heart. But we sit there and say, I, I, I got to go find a church where the music gets me all worked up, where, where they got smoke and they got the lights and everything. And I'm not saying all of that is just this horrible thing. I'm saying we have turned it into celebrity worship, into a bunch of people. And if they can't get me worked up in it, then people who have never been in the church need to come into a place and sense the presence of God in that place because the people of God are lifting up their voice and their heart to the Lord as a sacrifice of worship. 
But a lot of times we just want somebody else to lead us into it. Isn't it true? Paul, he's in the prison cell. Paul's in the prison cell. There are really two different people in this too. Because suddenly a violent earthquake at that foundation of the prison was shaken at once. All the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, here's what's amazing. Is Paul and Silas were the ones worshiping. And everyone else's shackles came off. I think what the scripture is really saying is they weren't just set free from their physical bondages. They were set free from their soulish bondages that were on the inside because they heard somebody influencing them, worshiping God, and that who had been in a place where they shouldn't worship God. And I think at some point they said, if those people can worship God, we can worship God. And something took place. But here's, there are people who worship for those around us because when we worship God in those tough moments, there are people around us that are going to be set free. The question is, are you the people in the audience? Or are you the one worshiping? Some of us just want to be around the worshipers. Because we're hoping to get the residue, whatever they had. Listen, you need to become a worshiper. Don't be like the Israelites said, Moses, you go meet with God. We're just going to sit here. We're going to sit on the outside. Look at, and, and, and this is the amazing thing. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners would escape. Because wouldn't you think if the bondages were gone, they're going to escape, right? You're a prisoner. Your bondage door opens up. Hey, hey, guys, let's get out of here. You could even argue. Well, the doors opened. I thought they were letting me free, right? But look at what Paul says. He says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Doesn't that just shock you? Seriously. That should shock you. Like, why would they all still be there? I have a theory. This is why I think they were all there. I think that when Paul and Silas began to worship the Lord, the presence of God came in that place. It was so profound in the jail. The earth shook, the doors opened, the shackles fell off, and the prisoners never left because the presence of God in the prison was far greater than not having the presence of God outside of the prison. In that moment, God turned the prison into place to be. I, you know, for a lot of believers, I think they've forgotten how great the taste of the presence of God is. They have replaced the need for the presence of God for the excitement of a sport. And we're looking for God to do what sports does instead of God doing what God does and we don't even need sports. You know what's amazing? And, I, and I, to, the, to, the, to the young people in this room especially that have never sensed the presence of God, I want to apologize. Because that's really what this is all about. We, we have just become so focused on trying to create a better product in the church than to really pursue the presence of God. You know, I, I asked on Wednesday night, I, I asked this question, I'll ask you it. The fruit of the Spirit, 
most Christians will say we should pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know that's a lie? You shouldn't pursue the fruit of the Spirit. I had people when I said that, they're looking in their Bible trying to prove it wrong. You should not pursue the fruit of the Spirit. You should pursue the Spirit. We have turned this into a behavioral gospel. There are many people that are here today just so they can behave better. I'm going to church so I can be a better spouse. That is the wrong reason to come to church. You should come to church to meet Jesus. Because in the end, in the presence of God, He is the one that works out all those details. You, if you think you can change your behavior, so you're going to learn how to change your behavior and do it better, that's called humanism. I'm going to pursue Jesus, and he does it all by himself in me. But I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is about something far greater than trying to behave better. And that's all it is. Now, pastor, I don't want to be no salt of the earth. I, why would I do salt of the earth? I'm only here to behave well. This whole thing is about just behaving better, right? Do good. To act better. That's what this is all this is. That is not what this is about. Is this making some people uncomfortable right now? Because you've been told long enough that you need, to be, you need to not lie. You better not cheat and steal. You better not do those things. No liars go to heaven. You better not. You better not. You better not. And the Bible says how you know somebody's a believer is not by what they're not doing. It's by what they are doing. They're salt. And they're light. Amen? So he brought them out. How can I have your God? This, this jailer says, well, how can I have your God? And this is what Paul says. This is what Paul says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your... That's the word I want to show you right there, household. It's this word right here. It's oikos in the Greek. O-I-K-O-S. Oikos. And it's not talking about your family and it's not talking about your physical house. It's actually talking about your sphere of influence. In fact, uh, this is... This is uh, uh, this, this is actually the people under your roof of influence. That's what it's talking about. So, so this house, the sphere of your, influ or your influence, your sphere of influence. Influence, your sphere of influence. And there's two different sp uh, spectrums to this of people and how they do this. One, and, and I love to call it one end of the spectrum, and not everybody is here, but you lean this way, is the around the bush people okay they kind of go they they go around the bush people and so whenever they share the gospel or they take the gospel it's around the bush they kind of drop hints they kind of they they want to they want to kind of get it like they give them just little nuggets and hope they get it and if they don't get it and they get around it and they didn't get it they say well god didn't want to get them saved or or they make comments like this i just planted a seed it, you probably didn't right the Bible says, how will they come to me if no one preaches? At some point, if you're lean round a bush, there's this intimidation that they don't want to hear the message, so you believe the lie that they don't want to really hear it, so you're kind of just, you're tossing up, you know, just hoping that works, hoping it works, hoping it works, and then we make statements like that, well, I planted a seed to absolve the fact that we never went further that we, when we should have went further, right? 
And so if you, how many behind, around the bush, you lean toward around the bush, right? You're not a confronted person, raise your hand. Just say, that's me. Oh, wow, you guys are all the other way. Right? Like some of you don't even want to raise your hand because you're so around the bush. Well, I threw, I'll throw hints out, okay. If you're not an around the bush person, raise your hand. If you're not an around the bush person, okay. Some of you just don't want to raise your hand. I get it. Okay. Okay, now, here's the opposing spectrum, the other side. It's the slap them in the face people. These are people who aren't just salt, they sometimes assault. Okay? These are people that come in and I'm just telling you the truth, right? Bam! Slap you on the face. Now, I'm not saying this is what you do every time. What I'm saying is, is that if you were lean in one of the spectrums, some people go around the bush, some people go to slap them in the face, right? And, and they just, there and they say that, and they make this statement. They make this say, I'm just going to tell you the truth. These are also people who often try to scare people into heaven. Okay? That's a messed up, dysfunctional way of doing it. And I'll explain in a little bit. Okay? But to slap them in the face, people, you need, there's something you need to know. Because when you're taking the gospel to those you influence, you've got you to remember this. The message without love is not the message. It's the only message that we can speak of in life that if love isn't a part of it, it's not the message. You know why it isn't the message? Because God is love. So let me read it this way. The message without God is not the message. How many say that makes sense? So if you don't love the person you're influencing with the message, can I just be blunt? Shut up. Don't speak to that person about the message. Ask the Lord to put love in your heart. Then when you preach the message, you'll be able to preach the truth with an attitude of love in your heart, and it will be the true gospel. But you've got to love people before you... But so, much of, so many of us get angry, and we don't like people because we don't like the way they handle something, so we use the gospel like a chainsaw in their life. And we carve them up, and we think, well, they didn't make it. <laughs> they must not have been able to... Listen, God gave your words to be used as a scalpel, to remove only what needs to be removed. And, and I've said this before. If, if you're counting down backwards before you go into surgery, five, four, three, no, 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 no. How many are going to have, like, <laughs> like right before? Like the surgeon, well, we got the cancer out, but we also took out two of the lungs, one of the kidneys, and a liver. That's what we're doing with people in the world. We don't love them. We don't see how amazing they are and that they're the object of God's love. And when we attack them, we attack them and we're going after things that are destroying and killing them. And then we say, well, they just couldn't handle the truth. No, they couldn't handle you with the truth. Smile. Right? Remember the message without love is not... The message. So here's our sphere of influence. The first one is my people. They're my people. These are my people. Um, when my wife and I were living in Michigan, we built a home, and uh, we were sitting there, and the Lord had spoken to me in that moment. He had said, 
that I didn't put you in this home just to be in this home. I, I want you to minister to the neighbors. And my wife and I spent a lot of time uh, reaching the neighbors in our neighborhood, saw eight of them come to Christ because the Lord revealed something to us that this neighborhood was a mission field. Then it's not a mission field in the same. It was our it was our field to reach people, to influence people, and so we did a lot of it through playing euchre with them. We'd bring them over. We'd play euchre. We had a fun time. It was a lot of fun. It's not uncomfortable. We didn't set up and get our house ready and bring them in and say, "Now I'm going to preach to you." pull out the sermon notes, and we preach. That's not what we're doing. We, we just live life with them, and then we let them see the light of Christ in our life. And when they went through difficulties, we, we were there to talk to them. It's called influencing your sphere of influence. You have people. You do. We think influence is a social media guy. You have people. Look at this. Sociologists have come up with this. And, and, and they call it the circle of 12. What sociologists have found is that all of us have about 12 people in our life. Like Jesus didn't already know that. I mean, you could have looked 2,000 years ago and said, yeah, we're probably influencing about 12. Right? But sociologists have proven that this is the case. On average, you will influence 12 people every week. Now, let me show you how they do this, how they measured this, the method to figure this out. They say if you were to add up all the time you spend with people in a week and add up the intimate face-to-face time you are spending with people each week, if it is equal an hour or more collectively through the week, an hour or more each week, most people will find that they have 12 people in their life on average that you're spending more than an hour of week with. That's your sphere of influence. Now, side note. The studies show that the average father spends seven minutes with their kids every day. That's another message. If you multiply that seven times seven, it equals 49, and the, most fathers' kids wouldn't even be in their sphere of influence. Isn't that sad? You know why we don't influence is because we don't acknowledge or even know that we have this fear of influence. We believe the lie that the enemy tells us that no one is listening to you, no one is watching you, no one cares what you do, and because you believe that, you never take advantage of the 12 people in your life that you're impacting every single week. Fact, if I were to go around, uh, and this was in, 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 in response to this study, of the circle of 12, there is a religious leader that responded and said most Christians he surveyed didn't even, real, didn't even know three people that they felt they influenced. So let me ask you this, how many people do you know that you're influencing for Christ right now? And here's the reality, you're influencing 12 whether you believe it or not. You may be influencing for negative things or positive, but you're influencing 12 people. There are 12 people on average that you're influencing every single week. Who would they be? Go home to your family and friends. Tell them how be- that this is the, how we're going to influence them. Okay, here's the, here's the message. Go home, tell your family and friends. Tell them how bad they are and that they're going to hell if they don't change their ways. Some of you are like, that can't be in the Bible, is it? 
No, it's not in the Bible. Here's what it says. But that's how we tell. We're going to tell you how bad you are and you better get saved. Or you're going to go to hell. That's almost how it's, that scripture was written to fit how a lot of us try to influence people. Here's what it says. Go home to your family and friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them your testimony and how he has mercy on you. That's what we're doing. We're telling, telling them our testimony. That's what we do with people. Here's my place. This is the place I have in life. God has put me in the place that I am in it. When I, when I came to Bethel initially, came to Bethel, and uh, they asked me, do you like Minneapolis? And I stalled. I just didn't respond. Uh, Heather and I, well, at least I, wanted to move a little warmer place to a little warmer place, right? How, how many kind of understand that, right? Well, you want to, so, so, but, so I didn't respond quickly enough for my wife, and my wife stepped in and said, oh, he loves Minneapolis. He just doesn't like the weather. And I'm like, yeah, the, the snow. But here's the reality. During this whole pandemic, there's been this great reshuffle. And everybody's been thinking about all of the aspects of their life, and they're changing jobs, and families, and churches and cities and states and everything else they're just moving it's just like like something threw it all in the air and however it landed and here's the mistake of what's happened and and we have to understand this if god puts you someplace you can't allow other man-made factors to take you out of that place right my sister's a missionary to the congo and uh she was required to get the vaccine to get into the Congo. And she didn't want to get the vaccine. She had no, didn't believe she needed it. But she's like, I'm going to get the vaccine because God told me to go to the Congo. And I'm not going to allow a man-made thing to keep me from doing what the Lord already told me. Just, it's just the way God can protect my health. But I'm going to do what he's last told me to do. If God told her not to do it, then she wouldn't have done it. And I think a lot of us would say God has called us into jobs, but because it was toxic or it wasn't what I want, and it just weren't nice to me, they talk about me behind my back. Can I ask you a question? Have they made false accusations? Yes, they have made facts and false accusations. Have they taken you to court? Not yet. Have they stripped you and beat you with sticks? No. Have they put you in jail? No. Then I think you should just deal with it. Right? Pastor, can you help me? I don't know if I'm supposed to leave this place or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not. I just don't know. Well, you're not supposed to do it. Well, how do you know? Because God would have told you if you were supposed to do it. You want to run, but God isn't releasing you to run. That's why there's chaos in what it is in your heart. When there is no peace, like you know God's spoken to you, then you go. Why? Because God told you to do it. Does that make sense? Some of you are making decisions whether or not you should stay in a marriage or not, or whether or not you should stay out of this workplace or not, or whether you should stay in that school or not, or what you sh whether you should live there in that place or not. If God put you there, then wait for God to tell you when you're supposed to leave. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God set them in a place. So I'm in Minneapolis with all this snow just praying that God would bring global warming to the city. 
And I know some people think that's stupid, that I'm just taking it lightly, but I really do. I've thought about what would it cost to build a bubble over Minneapolis, like a dome city. You know, people could come, that would be great. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Now, this is a prayer that we should all pray. Establish the work of our hands for us. God, establish the work of my hands that I can influence lives. Establish the work of my hand. We should pray that. Let me be an influence for you, God. Let me be a voice for you. You're not just there to make a living. You're not in your workplace to make a living. Your vocation is your ministry location. That's where God's called you. Here's the third. Here's the third thing. My passion. God is our first passion. God is our first passion. When, when God's our first passion, everything in our life will revolve around God. All our passions will revolve around. It will order the order of our life. But a lot of, and let's be honest. Can we just be honest? Some of us, sports are more the passion that's sitting in the priority seat. Some of us, it's our kids. Our kids are our priority passion. We're more passionate about our kids than we are the father. And what you do when that's the case, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you put that as the priority in your life, that orders everything else in our life. But when you put your kids as the priority order in your life, they will not organize your life. It will be a life of chaos. When it's sports, right, we're talking about worship. There are guys that will take their shirt off at a football game and start dancing around with their belly going up and down, going chick-a-boom, chick-a-boom, chick-a-boom. You know, it's like a drum going off. They come to church, I'll, I'll leave your shirt on. But we need to come and worship the Lord when we come. We're, we're praising God because why? He is the priority passion in our life. But here's the thing. The Bible says that God gives you the passions of your heart, the desires of your heart. That just because God's the desire of my heart doesn't mean there aren't other desires that God has written on your heart, and those are the desire God wants you to be part of. If it's, if it's sports, great. It's not sports bad. It's only bad when you make it the priority. It's not your kids are bad, it's only bad when you make them the priority. It's not all of the things that are your passion that are bad, it's when you make them your priority that are bad. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So there's some people with giftings, like you have the gift of service, and when you came in here, you saw some chairs out of order, you straightened it out, you set it up. There are other people uh, that had a gift of mercy, and you saw somebody sitting alone, and you're like, I'm not letting them sit alone, I'm going to sit next to them, because there's somebody of the gift of leadership, and you said, man, I could have preached that message a whole lot better than Bifford did, and you should. The local church is still the hope of the world. It still is. You, you are still the hope of the world. You're still the hope. Will you stand? God is going to give you divine appointments moments in this next week. God is going to give you divine appointments and moments in this next week. He wants you to see them. He wants you to see those moments. You ready to see them? 
And there are going to be people that you're going to influence. Do you know who they are? Can you write down who the people you are? It's really the assignment of this morning. You say, I didn't come to church to get an assignment. I came here to get up and do a word. And you know what? You probably came here to have a worship team do worship and just kind of a free concert and do their thing. But if we're going to be the church, we got to leave those doors recognizing that there's something God's showing me and I need to walk in that. And what is that he's showing me? That there are 12 people in my life that I need to influence and I need to know how I'm influencing them for the kingdom of God do you believe that father right now I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room credible men and women of God credible men and women of God Lord they've been going through life and in some ways haven't really recognized that they're world changers that there are people that if every one of us in this room influence the 12 people in our life right now, we would change the city. That we would impact this. If we just influence the 12 in each of our lives, we would change our city. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see it, cause our heart to recognize it, and then give us the, the, the courage to influence them for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.